What's your legacy? Miami-Dade residents produce six pounds of trash daily. Much of that is plastic and will remain in our environment long after we're gone. Be part of the solution. Eliminate single-use plastic. More at miamidade.gov slash plasticfree305. Welcome back, everybody, to Rams Up, your favorite L.A. Rams podcast. You can also follow us on YouTube. Got some great video content. Our YouTube handle is at L.A. Rams Up. You can follow us on Instagram as well. I'm your host, Mark. Let's get to it. Welcome back, Ram fans. Episode 187 of Rams Up. Got a lot of good stuff this episode. We're going to be a little bit all over the place. We're going to open up with some news and notes. Then we're going to get into my review of the 2023 schedule, the good and the bad takeaways from that schedule. And I will share with you the Rams' path to the playoffs based on this schedule. And at the end here, something I've been sitting on for a while... I think it's a perfect time of year to do this. I'm going to share with you my history lesson, one of the greatest decades of football by an NFL franchise, the Rams of the 1970s. Great football, great teams, but a lot of disappointment too. Might be educational for you younger fans, and it's going to bring back some good memories and some bad memories, unfortunately, for you older fans. And a heads up, One of these upcoming episodes, either this Thursday or next Monday, I will give you my Rams 2023 roster prediction, and I'm even going to share with you their practice squad. I'll make arguments for each of these units. Who's going to make the team? Who isn't? That's always a lot of fun, and I'm usually pretty accurate. It's almost impossible to predict it 100%. Well, let me just say it is impossible, but I feel pretty strongly I'll get 48 or so out of the 53 right. Is it just me, or does Matthew Stafford look lean and mean in these films and photos I'm seeing of him? I think Matthew Stafford's ready to go, and I think he's going to have a good season. Now, there's rumors about the Rams having interest in Carson Wentz. I kind of hope that doesn't happen. It's just a little more drama than the Rams need. Stafford, Bennett, and Ripien. I think that's a good quarterback room. Let's roll with that. And there's also this news floating around out there that the Rams put in a request to the NFL to not play in Green Bay in December. And a lot of people making fun of the Rams for doing that. Hey, NFL teams are allowed to put in requests like this, so why not? The Rams' last two regular season games in Green Bay were in mid-December and late November. Then you take a look at a team like the 49ers. They've had one regular season game in Green Bay over the last 10 years, and that game was played in October. The last time the 49ers had a regular season game in Green Bay in December was in 2010. So I'm not going to get all rankled about it. I think early November suits the Rams just well. Hopefully it won't be bitter cold yet. It probably won't be. Now, a few weeks ago, the Rams' edge rushing group was rated as one of the worst in the league. I kind of see it. I get it. A bunch of new guys coming in, a bunch of young guys that haven't proven themselves, like Daniel Hardy and Keir Thomas, Michael Hoyt, a defensive lineman playing out of position, really, but being productive, and now a bunch of rookies. So I get it. One of the worst edge rushing groups in the league until they prove otherwise. But now I hear the Rams' offensive line 
is being ranked by various entities in the bottom two, three of the league. And I disagree with that. I mean, it was mostly due to injuries. The Rams' offensive line last year was probably going to be okay, pretty average. Noteboom was the guy that was struggling. And then all the injuries hit. With Brian Allen and Noteboom coming back, Logan Bruss, he has to prove himself too, as does Steve Avila. I guess I could see them being ranked low, but I think when all is said and done, there's no reason to think that they could not be in the top half as far as offensive lines go. Not going to be a stud offensive line. It's not going to be one of the best in the league, but it has the potential to be pretty darn good. So ranking them in the bottom two or three, I don't know. I'm not buying it. I don't think that's a fair assessment of the Rams offensive line at this moment. Before we get into our schedule review and then on to the Los Angeles Rams of the 1970s, taking a moment to talk about the Lakers. Wow, they've done it. They've advanced to the Western Conference Finals against the Joker and the Denver Nuggets. This is going to be a really entertaining and interesting series. A chance for LeBron James to further cement his name as one of the greatest, the greatest NBA player ever. Really interesting matchup. Curious to see what the Lakers try to do and slow the Joker down. He's similar to LeBron in the sense that if you double him, he always makes the right pass. Maybe they'll just let Anthony Davis try and guard him. It's really hard to double him because they have great shooters, KCP and Michael Porter Jr. Porter, by the way, is probably the X factor for the Nuggets in this series. He needs to have some big games. And if he does, the Nuggets probably move on. But it's not just about the Joker. They also have Jamal Murray. I imagine the Lakers will have Schroeder and Vanderbilt taking turns trying to guard him. But those dribble handoffs between Murray and the Joker, that's what makes this Nugget team so dangerous. One thing the Lakers are going to have to do is make the Joker work on defense. That is his one weakness. AD could have a big series. He needs to attack maybe even get him into a little bit of foul trouble. And we'll see a lot more AD and LeBron pick and rolls, attacking the Joker underneath the basket. They went away from that last series because Draymond Green was guarding AD and he's one of the best defenders in the league, but the Joker is not. So they're going to go back to that in this series. The Lakers role players have really been stepping up during these playoffs. Hachimura and then Lonnie Walker. Whose turn is it? Someone's got to step up. Who is it going to be? Both of these teams have been awesome at home, undefeated in the playoffs, the Nuggets and the Lakers. Nuggets have home court advantage, so the Lakers have to find a way to win one in the Mile High City to advance to the NBA championship. Going to be fun. This is going to be a really fun series. Interesting matchups. Two teams playing at a very high level. Nuggets, Lakers, let's get to it. Next up, a review of the Rams' 2023 schedule. And I'll also point out their path to the playoffs. And then after that, those L.A. Rams of the 1970s. Well, everybody else and their little brother is doing it. So I guess I got to do it, too. Let's make some predictions how this Rams season is going to go based on their schedule. The interesting thing is we've already known who their opponents 
were going to be. All we really found out the other day is the order of the games and two other things. One of them fairly good, the other one kind of bad. The good thing, the Rams get the Green Bay Packers in early November instead of frigid December. That's kind of good. It still could be cold in November. The bad thing is they face four teams coming off a bye. I don't know what they were thinking. This seems like it should be totally avoidable, and it really shouldn't be allowed to happen, but yet it did. A billion-dollar enterprise screwing it up again. But that's the Rams' schedule. Going to have to deal with it. So let's look at how I think the Rams are going to do this season. And actually, I've already done this. It's on our YouTube channel, posted the other day. I'll walk through it again on this podcast drop. I broke the season into six segments. The first segment being those opening three games at Seattle, at home against the 49ers, and then at the Bengals on Monday night. And I have the Rams going one and two in this stretch, scratching and clawing their way to a win, probably in one of those first two games at Seattle, a team they lost to twice last year by a total of seven points with Baker Mayfield and John Wolford playing quarterback. So Seahawks a five and a half point favorite right now. I would take that bet. Rams have had their way with the Seahawks for the most part during the Russell Wilson era last year. Got to take it for what it was, a banged up Rams team overmatched and still hanging into both of those games. Actually should have won that final game that would have put the Lions in the playoffs. So consider that when you think the Seahawks are, you know, I was the one last year defending the Seahawks and they're going to be much better than people expected. Now it's flipped. Everybody thinks the Seahawks are this freight train coming at the rest of the league. I'm not buying it. I think they're going to be a good team, but Rams can beat them still. Not sure if they're going to win that game, but I have them going one and two in these first three. Remember that 49er game? Week two, who's their quarterback? Sam Darnold? Trey Lance? Christian McCaffrey, maybe? Who knows? I don't think it's going to be Brock Purdy. So Rams find a way to win one of those first three. Then they get the Colts and then three straight home games, Eagles, Cardinals, and Steelers. And I think they are fully capable of beating the Colts, Cardinals, and Steelers. Eagles will be a tough match. But I think it's completely plausible the Rams go 2-2 two and two in that stretch. Unfortunately, the Steelers are one of the teams coming off a bye that they'll have to play. But at least it's at home. Steelers always tough. But I don't think they're going to be that formidable this year. Kenny Pickett, his second year at quarterback. Maybe by then the Rams rookies are starting to contribute on a regular basis. Especially guys like Byron Young. Maybe... Tomlinson, the cornerback out of TCU, starting to make plays. But anyways, at Colts, Eagles, Cardinals, Steelers, Rams go 2-2 two and two and improve to, well, not really. They're at 3-4 and four after seven games. They have two more games before the bye, at the Cowboys and at the Packers. Two tough games, but I don't think the Packers are the same Green Bay Packers that you're used to seeing. Rams might be a better team than the Packers by then. Uh, I don't know what the Packers are going to be. Jordan Love, a young quarterback, at playing the most important position. Big difference with Aaron Rodgers moving on. 
Rams win that game in Green Bay, and then they go into their bye with a 4-5 and five record. Yeah, I'm kind of counting a loss against the Cowboys. Lose to the Cowboys, beat the Packers, 4-5 and five at the bye. Their next three games, the Seahawks, at the Cardinals, and then home against the Browns, I have them sweeping these three games. These are three games that they can win, and I say they will win. They start having their way with the Cardinals once again, improve to 7-5. and five. A lot can happen between now and Week 11. The Rams rookies a little bit more seasoned by now. This is an important part of the schedule for the Rams. They get on a roll and go 3-0, and suddenly they're 7-5. And And I'm being a little generous up to this point. Week 14 at the Ravens, and you guessed it, Ravens coming off a bye. I think they lose that game, and then they come back and play the Commanders at home. Guess what? Commanders are coming off a bye, and then they get the Saints on Thursday night at home. Those two home games, Rams win them both. That's right. Rams win them both. 2-1 2-1 over that stretch, weeks 14, 15, and 16, improved to 9-6, and six, and then they go into those last two games, and this is where they're going to have to make or break their season. Weeks 17 and 18, both road games at the New York Giants and at the San Francisco 49ers. USA Scientific works side-by-side side with you to provide high-performance tools for your next discovery. Get your free sample today at usascientific.com slash mastertools. And that Giants game especially is going to be really important. They need a win here, and they don't want to have to go into San Francisco where they do not fare well in front of that 49er crowd needing a win to get into the playoffs. So they beat the Giants and then lose to the 49ers and finish 10-7. and And I've been a little bit generous over some of these parts of the schedule, and I think I've been a little conservative as well over others. But 10-7, and if things break their way, slightly overachieving. But you know what? 9-8 and could be good enough to get into the playoffs when you look at the schedule and what some of these other NFC teams are facing. And remember, we still have one of the top three quarterbacks in the league And another reason I'm a little bit more optimistic than others is I think the Rams are going to run the ball down other teams' throats, especially early in the year. This could be an extremely good blocking offensive line if Steve Avila and Logan Bress get rolling, Coleman Shelton, Rob Havenstein, note boom, a better run blocker than pass blocker. I think that's what the Rams are going to do. They're going to try to control the ball keep their young defense off the field, and I think they can win some games doing that, especially early in the year. And remember, that opener against Seattle, we have no evidence that they've improved that run defense, which has been pretty bad for years. And then Stafford and Cup and Van Jefferson and these young tight ends will start contributing as well. It could all come together for the Rams. Bad football team right now? I wouldn't even say that. Who knows? There's just too many unknowns for this team. Their three biggest stars coming back healthy. A lot of young talent being infused into this team. Uh, Offensive line coming back deep and healthy. A good safety group. Pretty good defensive line. I'm hopeful, and I'm calling it right now. The Rams 9-8 or 10-7. I'll go with the latter because, hey, I'm a Rams fan. 
Okay, young ones, gather around. Los Angeles Rams class is in session. I'm going to give everybody a little history lesson here, at least some of you younger fans. Now, millennial Ram fans, and I know quite a few of them, they were old enough to remember the greatest show on turf. They experienced that. A lot of them were pretty young, but they got to enjoy it at some level. And they also got to live through those dark days of the 2000s and then the return to Los Angeles and the glorious return to success under Sean McVay. Now, younger fans missed out on The Greatest Show on Turf, but they know the stories. They've seen the film. They've watched all these Rams march into the Hall of Fame. So they kind of get The Greatest Show on Turf, too. And of course, these recent years, two trips to the Super Bowls under McVay. But I don't think... Most of these younger fans really appreciate what it means to be an older Ram fan. I doubt you understand what we lived through in an era that was at the same time incredibly successful and devastatingly disappointing. I'm referring to, of course, the Rams of the 1970s. And I'm going to try to share with you this experience a lot of us older fans had It'll do two things. It'll make you a more informed Ram fan, and it might make you a more appreciative Ram fan as well. I'm going to start with the 1970 Rams, coached by George Allen. They went 9-4-1. This is a team that had Roman Gabriel, Jack Snow, Tom Mack, Charlie Cowan, Deacon Jones, Merlin Olson, Coy Bacon. In other words, two of the best defensive linemen and two of the best offensive linemen in the history of the league up to that point. I'm talking about Deacon Jones, Merlin Olson, Tom Mack, and Charlie Cowan, of course. But the good times really hadn't even started yet. In 1971, Tommy Prothrow took over as coach. The Rams went 8-5-1. Rich Brooks and Dick Vermeil, two future Ram head coaches, were on that staff. This is the year they drafted Isaiah Robertson, Dave Elmendorf, and Jack Youngblood. Was that a heck of a draft or what? Roman Gabriel was still the quarterback. They still had that great defensive line, Olsen, Coy Bacon, and Deacon Jones. Willie Ellison ran for exactly 1,000 yards that season, but the Rams had a tie with the Atlanta Falcons, and that cost them the division title, and they did not go to the playoffs. 1972, nothing to get too excited about. Still a really good defense, but they went 6-7-1. and one. Had a loss to one of the worst teams in the history of the National Football League, the 1972 New Orleans Saints. But 1973 is when things really got good for our Los Angeles Rams. The new coach is Chuck Knox. They bring in John Hadel as the quarterback. Lawrence McCutcheon, their primary running back, rushed for over 1,000 yards. Harold Jackson had 13 receiving touchdowns. They will go 12-2, and two, but then they lose in the divisional round of the playoffs, 27-16 to 16 to the Cowboys. 1974, similar team, still led by Chuck Knox. James Harris gets nine starts at quarterback. McCutcheon again breaks the 1,000-yard mark. Rams go 10-4. and four. They beat the Redskins. It was the Redskins at that time, so I guess I can still call them that, right? Our new Washington Commanders. They beat them 19-10 to 10 in the divisional round, and they lose the conference championship 
14 to 10 to the Vikings, 29 degrees in Minnesota, wind chill, 19 degrees. This is two of the better coaches in the history of the league, Bud Grant versus Chuck Knox. The Rams once again fall in the playoffs, this time in the conference championship. Things got to get better, right? And they do. 1975, the Rams go 12-2 and under Knox. This is a defense who has been ranked as one of the best in the history of the National Football League. Fred Dreyer, Jack Youngblood, and Merlin Olsen was still there. James Harris is the quarterback. McCutcheon leads the team in rushing. But John Capaletti, remember John Capaletti, he leads the team with six TDs. For those of you who don't know who John Capaletti is, he was the Heisman Trophy winner out of Penn State and gave one of the best, the best Heisman speech ever, brought everybody to tears talking about his brother, John Capaletti of the Los Angeles Rams. Ron Jesse and Harold Jackson, the primary receivers. Again, they win in the divisional round 35-23 to over the St. Louis Cardinals. This is Harris versus Jim Hart. And this is a game I've talked about in my Cardinal Ram previews a few times. I remember this game. I remember playing football at the park, and we had this game on the radio. That's how we did it back in the day. But they lose the conference championship 37-7 to to the Dallas Cowboys. Preston Pearson, three TDs in that game. Rams come back in 1976. Roster is still stacked. They go 10-3-1 under Knox. James Harris, Pat Hayden, and Ron Jaworski all getting starts. Lawrence McCutcheon, 1,168 yards rushing and nine TDs. We had two great cornerbacks on this team, Monty Jackson and Rod Perry. Defense included Youngblood Dreyer, Jack Hacksaw Reynolds, Dave Elmendorf. And we go to the playoffs again. We win the divisional round. We beat those Cowboys 14-12. to And then... 14 degrees in Minnesota. We lose the conference championship 24 to 13 to the Vikings. This is a Viking team that had Fran Tarkenton, Chuck Foreman, and the Purple People leaders, Alan Page, Carl Eller. The Rams really should have won this game. Early goal line stand by the Vikings. Rams thought they had scored two different times, so they opt for the field goal. It's blocked, and the Vikings return it for a touchdown. Later on, John Capaletti fumbles at the Vikings 20. The Vikings also blocked a punt deep in the Rams' territory, turned that into another three points. Vikings only had one first down at halftime, but they lead 10 to nothing. And then in the second half, Chuck Foreman breaks off a 64-yard run on the second play of the half, and the Vikings score a moment later, go up 17 to nothing. Rams rallied a little bit, but couldn't overcome that goal line stand, the blocked punt, and they fall once again in the conference championship. 1977, they come back, one of the favorites to go to the Super Bowl. They go 10-4 and four under Knox. They get the Vikings in L.A. in the first round of the playoffs this time. And what happens? It rains and rains and rains. This is before we called those heavy rains El Nino or the Pineapple Express or the Atmospheric River. It was just a rainy winter and the Coliseum turned into a mud bath, and they called this game the Mud Bowl. Rams failed to convert a fourth and one. Vikings turn around and go down and score. They go up seven to nothing. Later in the game, Terry Nelson, the Rams tight end, takes a screen pass to the Vikings nine. 
Capaletti to the five, and then Hayden throws an interception in the back of the end zone. Looked like he was trying to throw it away. So the Vikings go to the half up seven to nothing, end up winning 14 to seven. And by the late in the second half of this game, both teams looked like they were in brown, just covered in mud. The weather works against the Rams once again. 1978. The Rams go 12 and 4, win their sixth straight division title, now under Ray Malavesi. Pat Hayden started all 16 games, backed up by Vince Ferragamo. They had a three headed monster rushing attack Colin Bryant, Lawrence McCutcheon, and Capaletti. They get to the playoffs. They win the divisional round. They finally get their revenge on the Vikings. They beat them 34 to 10, and they go to the conference championship game once more, and they get the Cowboys at home. It's 0-0 at halftime, and the Cowboys score four touchdowns in the second half to win going away. The Rams turn the ball over seven times in this game. That's right, you heard me, seven times. Three Pat Hayden interceptions, two Vince Ferragamo interceptions, and a couple of fumbles. Rams outgain the Cowboys, Turned the ball over. It wasn't the weather this time. It was just bad football. 1979. The Rams go 9-7, and and that's, again, good enough to win the divisional title. Seven straight divisional titles. Only one team has won more consecutive divisional titles than the Rams than those seven divisional titles the Rams won in the 70s. They go to the playoffs. They win the divisional round. This time, they get their revenge on the Cowboys, 21-19. They finally win a conference championship game, beating the Buccaneers 9-0, and they go to the Super Bowl at the Rose Bowl against the Steelers. They lead at halftime 13-10. They lead after three quarters 19-17, and then Terry Bradshaw hooks up with John Stallworth for a 73-yard touchdown to put the Steelers up. And then a little later, another big play to Stallworth, and then a pass interference on the Rams in the end zone. The Steelers get the ball on the Rams' one-yard line, and Franco Harris scores on third down to pretty much seal the victory. So between 1973 and 1979, they win 75 games, lose 26, and tie one. That's a 74% winning percentage, seven straight divisional championships, They advance to five conference championship games, but only win one of them. And the one game they did win, they go on to surrender a fourth quarter lead to the Pittsburgh Steelers and lose the Super Bowl. So whether it was rain, mud, bitter cold, or turnovers, the Rams couldn't get it done. But at the same time, what a great run this team had. So many great players, especially on defense. So many exciting games just kind of let us down a lot at the end. And that made the greatest show on turf era so much more rewarding for us older fans, regardless of what city they're playing in. And then the Sean McVay era, getting back to the Super Bowl twice and winning another one. But those 70s, those 1970s, and the Rams were a team that never really were embraced widely by the fan base in Los Angeles or nationwide. It was a team that a lot of fans just found a reason not to latch on to. They couldn't win the big games, I guess. Wasn't good enough for them. It was good enough for me, though. Good enough for a lot of us Ram fans from that era. We stuck with them. 
really appreciated what they did in the 70s, even though they couldn't bring home a Super Bowl title. Disappointing era, but at the same time, man, what a run by the 1970 Los Angeles Rams. And with that, class dismissed. That's going to do it for this episode. Remember, you can reach us at ramsuppodcast at gmail.com. Visit our website at ramsup.com. And don't forget about our YouTube channel. Our handle is at laramsup.com. Till next time, keep the horns up, stay safe, and have fun out there. Music courtesy of the YouTube Audio Library. Tracks featuring Bar Crawl by Track Tribe. Buckeye Banzai by Vans in Japan, and Crimson Fly by Hamama. What's your legacy? Miami-Dade residents produce six pounds of trash daily. Much of that is plastic and will remain in our environment long after we're gone. Be part of the solution. Eliminate single-use plastic. More at miamidade.gov slash plastic-free 305.